And welcome to Comically Incompetent. My name is Doug, and this week we are continuing our MCU in review with, I think, the fifth installment in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Captain America. And it works out beautifully because we are recording this on 4th of July weekend with a beer called The Independent from El Segundo Brewing. I'll get into that at the end of the show. But first, I need to introduce my guest, one of my best friends, my other college roommate because dominic was on now you get a good glimpse of into my life please welcome my good friend grayson grayson how you doing oh i'm doing great doug it's great to be here first time long time i've been looking forward to coming on here and uh talk about a little captain america yeah i'm excited to have you on here because you are not a captain america fan uh yeah to say the least definitely not a captain america fan um i've made that abundantly clear since the first movie to you and dominic (laughs) Um, who you had on earlier for your Iron Man pod. Um, But I talk a lot of smack about Captain America, and I think it's uh, with very, uh, you know, it's due. Um, He, you know, we'll get into it more into the podcast, but, uh, you know, just safe to say I'm not a fan. (laughs) That's to say the least on some of the things that I've heard you say. Remember, this is a family-friendly podcast. Yeah, I'll keep the language to a minimum. Um, I'll try and keep it as apolitical as possible. Um, But, yeah, we'll just leave it there. All right, so I think we'll hop in the movie. I think the movie starts out with a scene of, it's modern day. I think it's one of the few times we're modern day in this movie, of them finding the frozen ship and the red, white, and blue shield encased in ice. And they get it out with like a laser for some reason. Yeah, the laser beam, um, the modern technology, uh, definitely an interesting way. But, uh, you know, we appreciate it. We move on to, I think, the big scene. This is the scene we should cut. We glance over the fact they found the shield. It's kind of important. But the big scene is... We go to German or Norway yeah, in 1942, Tonsberg, Norway, 1942, and we get to see our first shot of, I think, I have to admit, my favorite villain of the entire phase one of the MCU. This is when we first meet Johann Schmidt, played by Hugo Weaving. We find out later to be the Red Skull. Yes, absolutely. Completely underrated villain. Um, we can get into it a little bit more later. I think he is... Um very underrated and i don't think they exactly give him the props that he deserves in this movie no and he is one of the longer gap well the character has one of the longer gaps because spoilers we talked about endgame four and we get to endgame red skull comes back so that's interesting that they went all the way between these two but we'll get into that yeah um and this is where we get to see this is why i think this is one of the most important movies of phase one of the mcu this is where we find we see the first shot of the tesseract yes so we get to see johan schmidt go into this like church thing i'm assuming this man's a wizard um i don't get the uh full idea of who this old (laughs) norwegian scandinavian fella is he gives me wizard vibes um i could see that yeah yeah he kind of gives me the vibes of the guy in harry potter with the cat who like guards the halls well that's him yeah okay that makes a lot that's the actor (laughs) that makes a lot more sense i looked at his face and i was like this guy's had a cat in some movie that i've seen before (laughs) Yeah, it's the dude. I don't remember his name. I should because he's in Doctor Who a lot, but uh, he's awesome. I'm a huge fan of that dude. I'm yeah. going to get his name. You, you can keep talking. I'm going to find his name. No, he's absolutely um, – he's great. Um, yeah, he looks like an old kind of Norwegian Scandinavian wizard in this church, um, some sort of sanctuary room. Um, they just bust right in with a tank. 
Um, yeah, literally I, drop the tank in on him. Yeah, I mean, just like, who needs a front door? Just bust on through. Um, and then we get the great shot of the logo on the uh, the car, the Red Skull logo. Which is our first time really seeing the Hydra logo. Yes, the Hydra logo, which I think is just like one of the coolest logos. Like, I want that tatted on my chest. <laughs> that uh, might be problematic. I mean, problematic, yes. Um, but, you know, this isn't based on true events, thankfully. Um, I don't believe They're Hydra was Nazis. part of <laughs> World War Two. I'd have to go back. Uh, my brother was a history major. Maybe I can ask him about Hydra's role. Uh, but I don't recall them playing a key role. Um, no, no, they're not Nazis. They're Nazi adjacent. Yeah, they're Nazi adjacent. Nazi Jason. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we'll just go ahead and leave that there. <laughs> um, but I will say that I found his name. David Bradley is the name of the actor. David Bradley. I couldn't tell you what else he's in, but I am like, I saw him and I was like, that guy's in Harry Potter. Like something about him gives me <laughs> those vibes. I watch a lot of British movies and TV, and he's in a lot of British uh, Doctor Who, uh, Hot Fuzz, and uh, just a bunch. I mean, I've seen him. Oh, he was in he's Hot in, Fuzz. Uh, he was in Hot Fuzz. He plays the guy who um, they can't understand him. Seeing the translator, he's like, <laughs> <laughs> so he, he definitely has a you know? comfort zone um, with film roles. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. He's been typecast. Okay, he's absolutely typecast, like your boy Nicolas Cage. I think our fans know how I feel about Nicolas Cage. <laughs> yes, we all we all recall <laughs> your numerous rants on our national treasure, Nicolas Cage. I, I started that Ghostbusters podcast. Not Ghostbusters, what was wrong with me? The Ghost Rider podcast. Yeah, Ghost Rider the Wit. Some serious, <laughs> some serious hate. Uh, I think the coolest shot we get out of this scene, though, is when uh, he turns around, he opens the thing, you just see the blue light, because we don't really know anything about the Tesseract as far in the MCU yet. Unless, yes. like... You're a comic book fan. If if you're not a comic fan, you have no idea what's going on. It's just he he's gonna willing to kill for this blue light, pretty much. Yeah, we see the blue orb. I think you see something shiny and blue, something so well protected, and you just kind of figure it's gonna be incredibly important. I'm not necessarily a comic book fan, not a comic book reader, um, so I wasn't aware of what it was. But yeah, you definitely get the sense that there's some sort of aura about what he's picking up. Yeah, and I think the crazy thing about going after watching. And finishing that with the MCU is so far going back and seeing how important this was for what was about what was going to happen all these years later. Because at the time, like I kind of knew the Infinity Stones, I knew the original story of the Infinity Stones of the comics, but I didn't know what this was going to be. So that was really cool to like go back and watch this again and be like, oh wow, this is really important. Yeah, I kind of had the uh, I had the same idea when I went back and watched it, and I was like, okay, you know, as much of a hater as I am, there's definitely some. Um, key moments in this movie that kind of lend themselves to later on films. Yeah. Which speaking of you being a hater, our next scene is where we get to see Steve Rogers as a 20 something, 90 pound, five foot tall asthmatic eagerly waiting to enlist in the U S army. And I think you have some words to say about the groundbreaking special effects that were used to make Steve, to make Chris Evans look like a 20 something, 90 pound, five foot tall asthmatic CGI. Steve Rogers is the worst thing that has ever happened to America. <laughs> it is devastatingly bad CGI. That had to pass oh, through so many channels before it was approved. <laughs> like, this is one of those things, like, the audience is not the first group of people to see CGI Steve Rogers. This had to pass through numerous channels. <laughs> Producers, director, all the 
like oh, just hundreds of people had Editors, to see this. Before. Hundreds of people, and this is what they came out <laughs> with. And we know, like, the CGI technology. It's, I mean, what? This is 2011, correct? Yeah. Um, it's not like all the way there, but we've got some pretty good tech going on. And the fact that they, it's his neck. The, the blend between his face and neck is like, it, it haunts my dreams. Like, I went to bed the other night just, like, shook, thinking about how emphysemic, asthmatic Steve Rogers um, looked and how wayfish and there were issues. Um, speaking of issues, can I just get into a few of the health issues listed on his enlistment form? I would love that, please. Because okay, I had to pause the film. And I had to write these down because it's just so great. So, health issues. This is top to bottom. If you pause the movie during this scene, you see asthma, which we already spoke on. Scarlet fever, just right off the bat. The man's got scarlet <laughs> fever. Wait, my question is, why was that not before asthma? You would think, yeah. And then the guy's like, oh, I couldn't have let you in on your asthma alone, pal. And it's like, uh, scarlet fever? Um, <laughs> rheumatoidic fever. I'm not sure if that's rheumatoid arthritis. What's going on there? Uh, sinusitis. Um, I'm which is, like sinus. Yeah. So issues? itis is I'm a physical therapist for those of you who don't know. Um, itis just means inflammation. So inflammation of his sinuses, chronic frequent colds, um, <laughs> probably due to the asthma, um, high blood pressure, pounding heart, easy fatigability. I wrote that one down. <laughs> I bolded that one. I highlighted that one because that one is one that you know, I don't necessarily buy. We'll get into the uh, fight after the movie later. Um, but heart trouble, which, you know, pounding heart, heart trouble, kind of seems redundant. Nervous trouble of any sort. Now, when you <laughs> hear that, Doug, what do you think? Just, just like a severe anxiety disorder. Yeah, I guess the, the terminology back in the day, like we know this, 1940s doctors were like, uh, I don't know, drink some whiskey. Um, but nervous trouble of any sort. That's what they wrote down. Not exactly at the cutting edge of medicine. Oh my God. Um, household contact with tuberculosis, which he talks about his mother being a war nurse, caught the TB, and parents slash sibling with diabetes. Don't know who it is. That was his entire medical history. <laughs> I... So when we had Dominic on, since he is an animator, I asked him all these questions about the CGI of the movie and stuff like that. You as a physical therapist, do you think you could help Steve Rogers pre-Super Soldier Serum? Do you think you could give any sort of like relief to his life? I think that I could help. Um, I could help maybe with some of the, uh, you know, chronic frequent colds, the asthma, um, you know, get some of that gunk out of his lungs that's probably building up there. <laughs> Um, and we all know what an absolute tryhard Steve Rogers is. Um, just, oh my God, like sits He can do the, this all day. Oh my God. You know, he's just going to do every home exercise, report back to you just <laughs> eagerly every day. It's like, oh, I got Steve on my schedule. Um, but I do think I could help him, um, just based on the level of tryhard that he is. Okay. That's a, see, I think that's a, you just said a good quality about Captain America and I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I said it in absolutely the worst way possible, but it did. Um, it was a very backhanded compliment. Yeah. That's, that's the best you're going to get a backhanded compliment. <laughs> Dude, oh, I'm glad we spent just that amount of time on this like, quick scene. I love it. Um, so then we'll move on and we'll talk about how he's using fake names 
to get in and uh, enlist in the military. It goes wrong. They he, they fail him. He goes to see a movie where he decides that he's gonna stand up for the guy. Start the movie. I didn't pay hey. to see this crap. Hey, just stop the cartoon. Like, start the ima- cartoon. Imagine being a grown man screaming, "Just start the cartoon." <laughs> To be fair, that would have been us in the SpongeBob Square. Yeah, no, I mean, if well, okay, let's let's separate these things. We have film and then we have art. <laughs> That's true. You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. And so he decides that Steve Rogers is gonna go fight this dude who stands up and he's what like six three, two hundred something pounds of muscle. Yeah, he was a big boy. He was a big boy, and they go out in the alley. He just starts just beating the crap out of Steve, and which is the first time we ever get that famous Steve Rogers line. Of, I could do this all day. Yeah, I mean, easy fatigability. I think the doctor said that <laughs> one wrong. He could, he can do this all day. The doctors thought he couldn't, but he can. Yeah, the doctors, I mean, like I mentioned before, maybe not exactly on the cutting edge of medicine then. Um, I think if they would have done maybe a VO2 max test, uh, we would see that he's got, uh, he's got some, he's got some endurance. I don't know what that is, but I'm going <laughs> to tell you that you're right. Yeah, absolutely. And, this is the first time we meet a major character in the series who will go on to become very important. James Buchanan Barnes, Bucky Barnes. And he comes and saves Steve from this big, tall behemoth of a man. Mm, so handsome. Sebastian Stan is Bucky Barnes. And he is, he looks really good with that long hair when he's uh, in the later movies. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he, he's got some great lettuce on him. But uh, I think even with the short <laughs> hair, he definitely rocks it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because he becomes, spoiler alert, we've talked about it a million times, though, he becomes the Winter Soldier. What? And, oh, God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even though you've seen the other movies. <laughs> I think we saw, we've, we probably saw one of them at least together. Yeah, at some absolutely. Who knows? So then we move on, and Steve and Bucky decide that they're going to go to whatever this fair, I don't remember what the fair is. World Exposition of Tomorrow. Right, so this is kind of what, like, the whole, like, World's Fair thing that Tony's dad decides to put on. This is kind of like, this is that. Yes. And they go with these two beautiful women. One of them, actually, she goes on to play, uh, oh, what's the name I'm looking for? She plays Clara Oswald in Doctor Who, one of the Doctor's companions through Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi's Doctor. I'm a huge Doctor Who fan. I've said it a million times. Anyway. She has, like, one line this whole movie, <laughs> but still. <laughs> Where are we going to go dancing? Yeah, exactly. I think that's the line. <laughs> Just so shallow. I love it. Oh, God. So then we, we this is where we first see uh, Tony's dad. Yes. Played by, I don't remember the actor who he's played by, but he is make, makes a hover car. Yeah. I did say it was a couple of years away, right? <laughs> you know all these lines it's beautiful yeah this is one of the only talents that i have is just remembering the most mundane lines you and i know we've been, we've gone oh, through yeah. this many times well that's how you and i i think really became friends freshman year of college was i said some obscure quote and you knew exactly what i was talking about yeah i just popped around the corner was that from this yeah. the end exactly so this is where we also meet dr abraham erskine Played by the amazing and wonderful Stanley Tucci. Stanley Tucci. Just like, oh my gosh, what a just brilliant actor. I love Stanley Tucci. Everything he touches turns to gold, except for apparently Captain America. (laughs) Well, technically, Captain America becomes buff as hell and super sexy because of him. Yeah, he's the one who enhances Captain America. This is literally 
Devil Wears Prada version of Stanley Tucci just souping up Anne Hathaway or CGI Steve Rogers. <laughs> the equivalent. Yeah, this is the exact, like, yeah, the exact same thing as Anne Hathaway and Devil Wears Prada, just to Steve Rogers, Captain America. So we're canon here, right? Yeah. Anne Hathaway is Captain America? Yeah, this is absolutely canon. The Dior boots are similar to the shield. <laughs> It, oh god so stanley tucci comes in and eavesdrops on steve and buck steve and bucky's conversation of steve saying he's gonna go he's gonna try and get in the army again he's not gonna stop and bucky's being deployed so i think this is also where we get our first line of uh don't do anything stupid till i get back how can i you're taking all the stupid with you yes love that line great line they say it several more times and stanley tucci's character sees something in steve rogers he sees something so he goes Lord and only knows what <laughs> he sees the heart in him. He sees the heart. That's yeah. what he wants. Pal- he wants he can some... see the heart palpating through his body because he has <laughs> such heart trouble. <laughs> that doesn't matter though. There's super soldier Sam. <laughs> yes. So meanwhile, we move on and uh in a secret military base high in the Alps, Johann Schmidt brings the glowing cube to a character who does come back. So you haven't seen the Winter Soldier movie. But Dr. Arnim Zola is the scientist assistant of Johann Schmidt. He makes appearances multiple times and they create, use the cube to create energy guns that blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. It's all important, but we have more fish to fry here. And so the next big thing is our conversation with Dr. Esker Erskine. I'm going to say it wrong a million times where they first meet Peggy Carter, Dr. Erskine and Steve all kind of meet up and talk about like, you know, what, 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 what can we do here? What do we got going? Who's this Steve Rogers? guy that we're gonna we're gonna try and become make the captain america yeah what does agent carter see in this man for some reason it seems like she sees a lot too the only one who i deeply identify with is tommy lee jones (laughs) who really just despises captain america or steve rogers the entire time he's there and even when he becomes captain america yeah definitely not a fan but we do get that scene where to test him he doesn't think he's got the heart so Tommy Lee Jones throws a grenade on the ground to see, like, can he, does he, is he even right for this? Everyone runs. Steve Rogers, in his 90-pound asthmatic heart palpitation body, jumps on the grenade to try and save everyone. Turns out it's a fake. Yeah, what was his tiny frame going to do to stop the explosion? But, yeah. It wasn't going to, he was going to obliterate him into dust and then still <laughs> cause all the harm it would have normally. <laughs> Absolutely. It would have been bad. Yeah, it would have been like, it would have been like a abstract painting. I feel like I'm surprised his heart didn't explode just from the fear of jumping under. Yeah, grenade. I mean, especially before he was trying to do his first successful push-up of his life. Um, <laughs> and he hops up and he's ready to, you know, what? I do admire, like I said, the tryheartedness, which is both a negative quality. You know, if we're sitting in class to some, next to somebody and they're the tryhearted, raising their hand every five seconds, they get a little bit annoying. But, you know, those kind of people might be good to go defend the country. You know, I guess they have a role, which uh, I support. <laughs> but um, yeah, it just was he thought that he would stop the grenade. But as you said, Tommy Lee tossed a dummy grenade just to test him. You, you really start to see you start to learn about Steve Rogers, because this one thing I like about this movie is that they put a lot into you learning about who Steve Rogers is, where is I talked about in the last episode with Chris on Thor. Thor kind of just sucks his whole first movie yeah Thor. like he's just kind of a jerk and then the movie ends and his whole character arc is that he's slightly less of a jerk yeah he's just kind of like a ditzy handsome jerk which you know i admire 
<laughs> but yeah, we don't we don't have to talk about Thor here. But I don't think we really get any great character development from him because even that second movie, which was an Steve. utter abomination, um, yes, we don't get much character development from him until much later in the uh, MCU. Yeah, probably Ragnarok. Whereas we get we get a good amount of who Steve Rogers is going to be, and I think he has a big arc that comes later as well. But we also get to like I mean. Besides Grayson, most of the audiences at least can, I think, relate to really feeling for Steve in this and seeing how you admire a character who will do anything just to get, like, to follow their dreams, even if he's, you know, everyone keeps telling him he's not good enough, but he's like, I'm going to be good enough. And I think that a lot of people can relate to that and see that and really admire that, except for you, you, you found the, a way to hate him for it. Yeah, I found a way to hate him for it. And I think it's mostly tied to stuff that happens later in the MCU. Um, I do yeah, think that yeah. he has some likability um, in this movie. Um, especially when he's, I mean, if I'm just not looking at him and I just close my eyes and I'm listening to what he says because I don't want to look at his CGI. Um, <laughs> but he definitely does have some likability in this movie. Like you said that, um, you know, he's going through all this stuff. He's never been handed a single thing in his life and yet he's still putting in the work every day. Yeah. Which is something I just, I, I love about his character and even just the scene where they're like, they're on the run and the guy's like. They're like, they're doing the training. It's like, if you can get the flag off this pole, you get to drive in the car all the way home instead of running all the way back. And all these meatheads are like, I'm going to climb the pole. <laughs> and then Steve just says like, oh, and he just pulls out a pin. The pole falls down. He gets the flag and he's like, all right, take me home. Yeah. So you kind of get a glimpse that maybe he does at least have some wit. Um, maybe he's got some strategy that other people don't have, um, which is going to be useful for him going forward if he ends up being incredibly buffed for some reason. Like if he just starts hitting <laughs> the weights or if something else happens. Or, you know, just someone injects some random super soldier serum just right into him and he becomes hot as hell. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like that's going to happen. <laughs> the odds. <laughs> the odds. Anyway, next scene they tell him that they're going to inject him with a super soldier serum. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. Um, him and Stanley, Tucci, uh, Dr. What was his Dr. Erskine. Dr. Erskine um, sitting down for a drink in the barracks. Um, and just giving him kind of a little bit of a lowdown of what uh, what's going to happen here. And telling him that he used to work for Johann Schmidt to create the serum. Yes. But he saw what the bad guy wanted to do with it. So he left and he decided to make it for the Americans. Who, and the Americans are always the good guys. Yes, the Americans are the absolute best. The Americans are always the good guys. Which I think Ben brought up in a past podcast. How come every movie in World War II in America has to have a, a German scientist. Oh, we got to have the German scientist. I think it's just the accent just like fits so well with that era. It does. You have to have the good guy German scientist who saw the wrong that the the Germans were doing and decided to come over to America to help. Yes, absolutely. I mean, this has nothing to do with the 1941 propaganda that Captain America was at the time. <laughs> <laughs> it has everything to do with America being the good guy. Which, so then we get, we'll jump, we'll jump into just, you know, he comes Captain America. Yes. We get that. But then, because of who he is, they don't want him to fight. He becomes, like you said, a massive just piece, a propaganda piece. He's just the good-looking mannequin that they just put on a stage to read, buy bonds, sell bonds, America, fight for your country. Yes, and actually, I think this is my favorite scene of the whole movie. Um, just this montage of him working as this propaganda machine for the u.s to raise money i just love the way that they use this because i think at the time captain america was written it's not that far off of what the intended purpose was 
Not at all. It, he was written and as a propaganda piece from the start. Yeah, absolutely. So for them to really just dive into that and be like, yeah, we'll lean into it. He was a propaganda piece. I thought was a really interesting scene. Yeah, I love that they lean into it. Um, you have the great scene with the guy. I mean, what? how far down does your acting career have to go where you're playing like a frail Hitler? <laughs> or how? How good does your acting career have to be going? You know what? I hadn't even thought about that. That's a great idea. Exactly. Um, it's Which like, I don't want to gloss over it too quickly, but I will go back. When he becomes Captain America, we find out that someone was trying to steal the serum. They kill Stanley Tucci's character, and that gives him really the motivation. I forgot about the big chase scene. This is where we f- first get to see Steve Rogers be Captain America. Yeah, this is where we get a glimpse of uh, just some of the powers that he has now. He's running incredibly fast. He has luscious pectorals. Um, beautiful pectorals. Just beautiful pectorals. Just rips um, a door off of the taxi cab, which becomes the inspiration um, for the shield going forward. It does, yeah. Yep. Um, he doesn't save a boy who's drowning in the ocean. The boy saves himself. He can swim. Yeah, okay. He's like, I can swim. Here's a Keep fully going. clothed nine-year-old. <laughs> I can swim. <laughs> I got this. There's no tides. Um, Which, I don't know if you noticed, the actor who plays the German who's stealing the serum, he it plays Thorin Oakenshield in The Hobbits. It's Richard Armitage. Oh, yes, Richard. Okay, yeah. He looks incredibly... There's so many of those actors in this movie that just look so familiar, and it's just like, where can I yeah. place this person? <laughs> exactly. Well, I didn't want to glance over the fact that we Stanley Tucci's character dies, and I think that's the first big motivation for Captain America to fight, which then, after he catches the guy, they're like, all right, you're propaganda now. Absolutely. And... Yeah, I mean, I think that's just, I thought that was great that they really just dove into it. And they're like, they leaned into the fact that he is just literal propaganda. Yeah, he's there. He's protecting America, um, you know, fighting for our boys overseas, raise this money, buy bonds, um, you know, just kind of appealing to the children, the older adults. I like the grown man taking a picture with him. Um, yeah. <laughs> just reminded me of maybe what we would be doing with like a, like you said, like a large SpongeBob character. It's like a bunch of children. And it's like, hey. Can I get a selfie? Yeah, let's get a selfie here. It's like the guys that go like to those cheerleader booths and are like taking the pictures. It's like, you're 40. <laughs> you're 40 and your wife is taking this picture, sir. <laughs> I promise Stop it. you, the Anaheim Ducks cheerleaders don't like you. <laughs> they take pictures with everyone. It's not just you. No, I'm special. <laughs> no, they came over here for me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and after this, so we learned that, you know, being propaganda is just not enough for him. He's like, I, I need I need more than this. I'm this I'm I'm Captain America now. I need to fight. Yes. Which perfect timing, Bucky's unit in the army was captured. Yes. So Steve is like, hey, Let's go save him. Seems like a good idea to me. Seems like let's just go fly into the middle of a war zone Mm -hmm. and uh, save my best friend with he goes with Peggy Carter and Howard Stark. Yes. And I think it's important to point out how Peggy was kind of the one pushing him towards doing this, trying to pushing him towards his greater purpose, um, which comes into play in the later movies as well. Just kind of like that bond that they're forming. I do kind of buy the budding romance there. The first time I watched the movie, I didn't at all. Um, But watching (laughs) it back, I actually do kind of buy the chemistry that they're developing. Yeah, I think that she... The nice thing about her, and one of my favorite things, Peggy Carter is... I mean, Haley Atwell is a great actress. She's fantastic. fantastic. And Peggy Carter has been a great character. She, I mean, her own show was great, and she 
is such a good character. I think she's the only one that really sees Steve Rogers for who he is. She doesn't see him when he's tiny Steve Rogers. She doesn't see him as a weak little. But when he's big Steve Rogers, she doesn't see him as like just this big piece of muscle. She always sees him for who he is on the inside. I think that's so what important character she is because every hero needs that. And I think that was like Pepper Potts to Tony Stark. Yeah, that kind of puts you, you know, in your place, but still kind of, you know, believes in you at the end of the day. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that's what made her such a great character. And to a point where, like you said, she pushes him to go take this risk and to go and try and save Bucky from this Hydra camp in the middle of, I'm assuming, Germany. Yeah, it's some German war zone. They're flying over. Howard still has time to stop and ask for a late-night fondue, um, which <laughs> I admire. You know, game game respects game. <laughs> and if anyone had game in the Marvel Universe, it's the Stark family. Oh, my gosh. It just runs deep in that Stark blood. That mustache, man. How do you, how do you turn that down? <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> lord knows i did lord knows i didn't so yeah it, it appears that they're <laughs> flying over a very active battle um when he's entering oh, yeah. it because there's rockets missiles bullets flying every which way and he um at some point i suppose he had parachute training um off screen um and he just jumps out <laughs> of this plane and just like dives directly where he needs to go you know, I feel like when you're Captain America, and even if he were to hit the ground without a parachute, I think he'd be fine. So I think it's really just you pull the core and you hope for the best because <laughs> worst case scenario, you're still Captain America. This, this is true. I think my biggest issue um, is that we there's no real understanding of what Captain America's abilities are for me um, besides yeah. healing um, to a certain extent, strength, speed, agility. Um, but it seems like the serum also helped sharpen his mind. Um, it sharpened his coordination. It made him, like they say, the perfect soldier. So it's like all this training that you would assume, you know, maybe whether it be marksmanship training, hand-to-hand -hand combat, he never really had to go through. We didn't see him go through it. Yeah, I think it, maybe it's just instinct. I don't know. I mean, because he had that soldier instinct, which I think is what I think that's what they were trying to set up was like, he's got the instinct for it. So that way, yeah. when you're like, oh, he can do it. That's why it was, you're right. It was kind of weird that they just kind of made you assume like, well, he can do this now. Don't question yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. He can just do this now. It's definitely hard to fit everything you want in an origin story and yeah. still have a villain and all this other stuff, which is, you know, kind of the issues with origin stories in general is that we sometimes there's a balance that isn't quite hit on character development and villain development. Um, so I think in this movie they did a pretty, pretty reasonable job with Steve Rogers, but I think that they did not do the Red Skull justice. Yeah, they had, they put too much time. Like, we see Red Skull and his plan, like, we kind of go back and forth all the time of him using the Tesseract to create these weapons, but for the most part, that's all we really get out of him. Yeah, and um, I know he is somebody that's incredibly important in the MCU and even offshoots of the MCU. I know yeah. in uh, Old Man Logan, he ends up being the one that brings all the villains together. Uh, oh, good on you. Yeah, yeah. One of the only comics that I'm familiar with um, just because of the just like grittiness that comic is. Just wow. Oh, yeah. Um, it's but, amazing. Yeah, I think it kind of... This kind of sells his leadership ability short. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of it was Steve Rogers is such a, I think, layered character. Like 
like an ogre, he has layers like an onion. And I think they had to. Man, how about a fruit and yogurt parfait? Okay, so yeah, he's a parfait. <laughs> and he has all these layers that I think they need to try and cover quickly. Yeah. And it, it some things had to fall short. And I think we do get a little more Red Skull. Like, so in this scene, he dives into the war zone. He gets into the base. Yes. He rescues Bucky as well as the rest of the American soldiers. And we get the scene where they're standing over. This building is on fire. And the Red, Red Skull and Armin Zola are on one side. Yes. Captain Bucky are on the other. And this is the first time we see Red Skull. I think this is his big scene. He pulls off his face to become the Red Skull. Yes. And we had gotten... Um... We had an idea that he was a Red Skull to this point, just because in the very first scene we talked about, you saw kind of a seam on the side of yeah. his face. Um, and then later, when he's chilling in his hollowed out mountain layer. Um, the, <laughs> every good villain every, is a mountain layer. I want a mountain layer. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like where can I get one of those? Um, like, when is construction happening? Like, does the crew have to sign NDAs? Um, but probably I'd assume so. Yeah, I'd assume so too. But the guy is painting his portrait and you see only red paint. Um, that's true. Yeah. They, they did a lot of like, which I didn't notice the first time watching it, but watching it again for this podcast, I noticed a lot more little, Yeah, which I don't know. They were pretty obvious. I don't know how I didn't catch it. Incredibly obvious. (laughs) Like even in that first scene, he shoots the guy and then the red blood splatters on the Hydra skull. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's like, huh, who could this be? It's the abomination. No. <laughs> uh, but it's that scene with the fire, you know, between Red Skull and Cap was, I think, probably the coolest scene out of this whole movie. Yes, I would agree. Um, I didn't agree with Captain America going in with just the absolute brightest shield into a covert operation. Like, that thing <laughs> lit up the entire night um, as he was sneaking around the base. But, um, yeah, when he gets into that um, short little fisticuff scene with the red skull i just like the sheer power the fist imprint on the shield and then captain america kind of looking up like whoa okay evenly matched here yeah it was a def- it was a good lead in though to show like what shield he was gonna get like the cool shield he does get later on yes and also one thing he makes that jump that how far do you think that jump was to get across after because he sends bucky across bucky makes it and then he makes that leap which yeah. What, like 20 feet? Uh, I was going to say 25 feet, maybe a three-step approach. Um, I mean... like Yeah, like two steps. When is the next Olympics? Because this man... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we already have Jesse Owens, but if we wanted to make the Nazis even more nervous, we have Captain America competing in our Olympics, too. Which he should. It's cheating, because he's... It's not him, is it's it a serum, but still. enhancing drugs? Yeah. It is, You know yes. what? He'd I be kicked out of question. Major League Baseball, for sure. Yeah, he'd be kicked out. Eh, I don't know. He might have been encouraged. It kind of saved baseball. But, you know, that's another podcast. That's a whole other issue. Uh, so then we go back to the base, and Phillips dictates a letter to his typist telling how Rogers had disappeared into the night. Yes. And uh, Agent Carter saying, nope, I bet you he's alive. I bet you he's alive. But she's being reprimanded for what she did. Yes. But then they show up. They- Steve Rogers, Bucky Barnes, and the rest of the American soldiers that he saved all show up. And we're like, yay, he did it. He saved everybody. Cool. We move on. (laughs) He walked back through that act of war scene that we saw earlier. Yeah, that was a thing I was going to bring up. That was the There was a full-on war, and he just – they all just walked through. Like, I know they had guns and a tank. They did have a tank. They stole. They did have a tank. Never mind. I guess it makes sense. But at the same time, 
that didn't look like that looked like you know some ingrained warfare like there was a full-on battle happening there that he had to fly over and get into and then they're just kind of chilling like yeah we just walked back you know it was a nice morning stroll yeah exactly just a nice morning just a little, little stroll but yeah just a brisk thing get the uh you know get the lungs working get that asthma out of the system <laughs> so at, now that they're back we get to see the shield steve is like i want a shield but before that, Steve and Peggy have kind of had this off and on Ross and Rachel will they won't they situation going on. Yes. And Peggy walks in on him kissing who she goes on to be in Game of Thrones, Hunger Games, all that actress. I don't remember her name right yes. now. It escapes me. But she kisses Steve. She comes on to Steve hard. Oh, man. Like, that's an understatement. Homegirl is ready yeah. to risk it all. Oh, who wouldn't? I mean, I, I would be there day one, ready to go. <laughs> so... In the scene, Peggy walks in, and she's just like understandably furious. Yeah, I mean, you know, like she sees thing. him. They've had the flirtatious thing going on. You know, she's worn the red dress. You know, they've talked about dancing with the right partner. Blah blah blah. Exactly, and so in her anger, Steve is like, "I want this shield." You know, the adamantium or not the adamantium, vibranium shield, our famous shield, and she shoots the shield you know getting that anger out and being like yeah it works risking it all do you know she might kill steve but you know she probably won't an aggressive move a bold move which i fully admire from our peggy carter you go sis and so now we get the origin of i think the most famous shield in all of media absolutely i can't even tell you another shield exactly there's not like i'm sure there are more famous shields that our fans would like to point out to me if you have any of those Please just call me out on it, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. But I think probably the most famous shield in all of media. Yeah, used from, st- used, uh, from stolen materials. Now that you think, it, well, maybe they were, maybe they had a deal with Wakanda at the time. You know, I, I don't really know. Can I? I was gonna. I wrote that note down. Where did they get the vibranium? Like we know where they got the vib- vibranium, but how did they get the vibranium? Yeah, like who were they? St- well, I'm assuming that Wakanda was. Because in Black Panther, they say that, you know, the only person to penetrate Wakanda and get the vibranium was Claw, but he obviously wasn't alive yet. No. So I'm assuming that would imply that they got it with a, from a deal with Some Wakanda. sort of Or they mined it themselves. The Howard Stark, I'm assuming, was the one who had maybe. access to the materials. Uh, maybe some sort of technological quid pro quo for some vibranium or something of the sort. Yeah, which for our audience, if they don't know, vibranium is a mystical metal, which Ben has said before, that... Um, they is mined in Wakanda, which is from the where Black Panther, our famous Black Panther hero, is from, and it's the most one. It's one of two most indestructible metals in all of the MCU, pretty much. Like all of Marvel, it's one of the two most indestructible metals. That and adamantium, which Wolverine is made out of. But yeah, so we get Steve Rogers gets his shield, mm-hmm. and then we get to move on to a scene of now we get to see Bucky. Steve and their whole team of people that ragtag American oh, soldiers. Yes, ragtag crew of American. There was a uh, a British and a French soldier as well, I believe. Yes, British and French soldier, as well as the actor. I don't remember his name, but he's been in a lot. They, they all those yes. actors, I think, have been in a lot. Uh, the of guy stuff. who played um, Damien Dark in Arrow. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. With a uh, great mustache. Oh, beautiful, outstanding mustache, as yes. well as the guy who plays. Um, he, interestingly enough, so Kenneth Choi, who mm-hmm. is in it, he plays Jim Mori, Morish, Morita. I don't know how to say the name. I'm from but Fresno, he ends pal. up, 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he goes on to play the principal in the Spider-Man movies in the MCU, which they I think <laughs> imply that it's like his grandson or great or yeah, I think it's like his grandson or something because there is actually a picture of himself, the actor, playing this character from Captain America on the wall in his office as he's playing the principal in Spider-Man. I absolutely love that. So, I think that was, that was a cool thing that they did. I yeah, thought that was so fun, cool. especially yeah, seeing him now in that role, like it's like, oh, that's really cool they even thought to do that. Cause I think that could have been a risk, but I think that was a really cool thing that they did. Yes, definitely. And that ragtag group goes on to start destroying Hydra bases because Steve saw a map and memorized the whole thing, which goes into what you were saying of, did the serum make him like way smarter or was yes. he that smart before? Yeah, he, um, he instantly remembered it from one glance um, when he's taken Bucky out of the room where I'm assuming he was getting experimented on probably um, tortured experimented tortured, on yeah. brainwashed who knows um but he takes one glance at it and was like all right i remember where everything is cool um so he knows exactly where they need to hit hydra um where it hurts yeah and they go and they just that ragtag team destroys all kinds of hydra bases and even take zola hostage yes as well, which then we get a scene of Tommy Lee Jones eating steak yeah steak with a light nice glass of milk yeah, that's a white person thing. That is a milk with yeah, dinner. Big white person thing. As a white, I can attest. <laughs> as a Caucasian, um, my parents thought it would, you know, help big build strong bones. Um, and I can tell you, milk and steak is a terrible, absolutely terrible combination. <laughs> Fight me if you think otherwise. That's what gave Steve Rogers his all his issues before he was Captain America. <laughs> yeah, that's how he got sinusitis. Too much dairy. <laughs> Because he eats the steak because he brings it in to try and, like, I guess good cop, bad cop, yes, Zola. Yes. And then he Zola refuses because he thinks he, he poisoned it. But then to prove he didn't poison it, Tommy Lee Jones starts mowing down that steak. Oh, man. That, you put a steak in front of Tommy Lee. He just feels like he's on the short list of people that will finish that thing in five bites. <laughs> he, well, he's a man's man. Of oh, course he, he is finish 100% that bad boy. a man's man. Just love myself some Tommy Lee. Can't get enough. Even when he played uh, Two-Face at Batman Forever? I can't get enough. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Turns I out I got enough. <laughs> so we get the scene where you're talking about. They're in this war ravaged bar because after – well, no, actually before a big scene, mm-hmm. they go to attack another Hydra base. Yes. And we lose good friend Bucky Barnes in this fight on the train. Yes. He falls off the train, and we think he's dead. We think he's gone forever. I mean, jagged rocks, 100-plus feet. There's no way he could have survived that. Or could That he, he did survive that. Or could he? Exactly. <laughs> and so Steve, in his just, obviously, which his rightful uh, moping, he's in the bar and realizes he can't even get drunk because of the serum. He can't even drink himself to sleep because... He's so, like, torn that he lost his friend, but he can't even drink himself out of it because he can't even get drunk. The serum makes it, it like, what, like, revitalizes his liver or something? uh, I think it has to do with his metabolism. His body eats it up so quick that it doesn't even have time to uh, make him intoxicated. That's so sad. I mean, this is the first time I've ever felt bad for Captain America. (laughs) Yeah, that was, I mean, just, I couldn't even imagine how frustrating that must be to be so, like torn down you just lost your best friend who you finally got back after losing him already you lost him again and you can't even like drink for one night just to try and like handle it yeah can't even drown your sorrows yeah so 
Rogers and his team, they prepare for battle. They want to take down the Red Skull now. Like, they're yes. done. They, they, they're they done doing what they've been doing, just taking on the occasional base here and there. Oh, no. We're going straight for the yeah. top. They're ready to go. So they put on he puts on his new uniform like his his like new he's captain america not his propaganda uniform like his a different kind of uniform Shiny. he's got his new shield they got their you know they, they they go in and he goes and he starts throwing around his shield bouncing off stuff in this cool amazing fight that we finally get to see steve rogers i think really be steve rogers for like be the captain america for like the first real time in this fight yeah, when he just soars up on his motorcycle, jumps in, jumps yeah. like 15 people at once. Just so badass. So bad. Amazing scene. Um, and then we find out, uh, turns out his only weakness is fire. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, I think he, he could probably go through the fire, but he'd be set on fire. Yeah, and that would have an for a while. He would absolutely have an ouchie. <laughs> I think to put it just minimally, that he'd have an ouchie. Yeah, he he definitely have an ouchie. I just want to comment on the Hydra uniforms. Yeah, uh, what is that? They are so cool, but just there's no way those things are breathable. Not at all. I mean, um, just head to toe leather. Like, have you ever worn leather for an extended period of time? Well, <laughs> no, I have not. <laughs> no, thank you. Is all I have to say. <laughs> Especially if you're a flamethrower guy. Like, ugh, that seems flammable. Like, it seems yeah. dangerous. And even at the, just, you're chafing. He's chafing. There's no way he's not got <laughs> some baby some powder down there. Chafage. And I'm just curious as to where Hydra is getting all these recruits. Um, like, Germany's already fighting a two-front war, and now we got Hydra, you know, milking our other assets. No wonder Hitler lost. <laughs> he's got half his country fighting over <laughs> there with Hydra. He's got half his country that's ready to freaking bomb Berlin or whatever, laser gun Berlin. Not laser gun. They have lasers now yeah, because of the Tesseract. Tesseract gun Berlin. Oh man, that's true. I never, I never thought of it that way. Like, yeah, he just—they're doing the double-handed salute because they're one better than the Nazis. <laughs> he's they're different. All We're different of the here. Greatest minds, and he's just taken the recruits. They're already on two fronts. Now he's on a third front. Like, yeah, how many people does Germany have? How many able-bodied men? I mean, I'm assuming they're kind of brainwashed in some ways. I mean, I'm sure they're not, like, fully aware of what they're doing. But I think it's interesting because this is the part where we really get to see Red Skull basically saying, like, yeah, there are the Nazis fighting their war, but ours is more – our war is more important. We don't give – we don't even care about the Nazis. We don't give a about what they're doing. Yeah. We're doing our own thing, and we're going to take over and do what we're going to do. Yeah, I mean, and it's kind of one of those classic cases, like, who do I root for here? <laughs> Hydra or Hitler? Like, <laughs> it's a lose-lose for me. Not exactly. It's I mean, yeah, it's a lose lose. You don't root for any of them. That's yeah. the <laughs> you're for Captain we, we America. We don't even root for a fair game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it can't be a fair game. You can't make it seem like at all. Like the the one thing I will say because I've always talked about how I think the best villains are when you can once you can relate to and see their point. Yes, I think the one time like the one time you can't do that so far in the series is with Red Skull because his whole thing is like basically just world domination as. Like Germany defined. takes over the world. It's, yeah, it's, you don't. There's no good in that. There's no nothing you can relate to. Which I think, I think he's the best villain because I think he's the coolest villain in the first phase of the MCU. Yes, but he's definitely got the least motives that you can actually understand. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about it a little bit later when we get into their kind of end fight scene. But yeah, to yeah. this point, you don't have a great grasp of what he's doing. I think he's just power hungry. Um, yeah, exactly. The the Tesseract and the Serum are making him go basically just insane. Yeah, that's true. I didn't even 
I didn't even consider that. Yeah, the Tesseract just kind of corrupting his mind even further. Yeah, because basically the the super soldier serum that they put into the Red Skull was a failed version, an unfinished version of Stanley Tucci's yes. serum. Yes. So it just drives him mad and rips his face off and becomes the Red Skull. Mm-hmm. And so then we get to see this big scene of they're they're chasing down the plane that the Red Skull is on. The Red Skull's fleeing the hangar in his giant plane. And Steve finally kisses Peggy on this car that they're chasing down the plane on. Because, yeah, that's the right time to do that. Yeah, and then <laughs> Tommy Lee, I'm not kissing you. <laughs> yeah. Which I'm thinking, like, you're chasing down the Red Skull. He's right there. You just seem to get there and jump off the plane. And they're making out. It's like, all right, I yeah. get it for the movie. But come on. There's a time and a place for that. Yeah. I which mean, I guess never – like, go back in time and kiss her again. Yeah. Which <laughs> – not now. Um, but I think that car is just like, man, what a sweet car. How is that going as fast as the plane? That I, I struggled with that, but you know what? Just like looking at how cool that like hot rod was, it had the fire propulsion kind of like yeah. NOS system. Oh yeah, I guess it did system, the NOS in it. Um, which definitely gave a speed boost, but I mean, God, I would have just taken that car if I was Tommy Lee. He definitely rocks that. Oh yeah, definitely. He's, he's going to take that home. Oh yeah, he, that's going in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> so then Steve gets on the plane and they have the... Finally, we get to see Red Skull versus Captain America. Probably one of the most famous fights of the first, of, comic book wise, of the first phase of the MCU. Red Skull versus Cap has been around for nearly like eighty years. I mean that that's one of the the famous combinations: Red Skull versus Cap. Yes, it's a cool fight. It's a really cool fight. They're on the plane and they're they're just like going to town on each other. And Red Skull, I think, is pretty much using the the Tesseract, right? Yeah, he's using the Tesseract. Uh, Cap's using his typical tactics that we see. Time and time again, he's got like three go-to moves. He's got the shield toss. <laughs> he's got the big right hook, and he's got the knee. He likes to use the knee. I don't know if you noticed that. Um, he does. He, he likes he likes his knees. Yeah, he's maybe got some kickboxing background or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a it's a solid fight scene, and I think um, the fact that their powers are so similar uh, only kind of enhances the fight scene because it's basically like they're almost to a stalemate. Yeah, they, their fist their cuffs are coming to an even draw. Yes. <laughs> if you will. And Red Skull fires his cube energy pistol at Steve, who easily deflects him with his shield. Yeah. And it damages the console of the ship, and the ship starts... It's going down, man. There's there's no there's no way out of this. No way. And Red Skull sun, uh, grabs the cube. He grabs the Tesseract. And that portal opens up and drags him up through the through the top of the ship, ripping, I think, another hole in the ship. Yes. And at the time, we don't we think he's dead. Turns out the Tesseract, as punishment, took him and put him on Vormir. That's a whole thing. We'll get into that later. <laughs> but he's alive. We get to see him again in Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, which is nuts. That was the, big, the coolest reveal. We'll get into that in another episode. Yes. But Portal goes up, and the ship is going down. And Steve and Peggy have this scene where... You know, like, they, they both know he's going to die. Oh, no doubt like about it. Yeah, but she's like, let's have that dance. And he's like, great, I'll meet you here at, like, 8 o'clock. And she's like, okay, and then, you know, static. Because Steve crash lands into a, the glacier we saw at the beginning of the movie. And we come full circle. Full circle. We, we, we end where we started. Which, yes. then I think one of the coolest scenes is Steve wakes up in a 1940s hospital. Mm-hmm. An old-fashioned radio is playing a play-by-play of a Brooklyn Dodgers game. Classic throwback. Oh, great throwback. Who can forget the classic 1941 match of the Brooklyn Dodgers facing, I don't know, 
who he I was going to say, do you Yankees? know who they're playing? <laughs> yes. I have no idea who they're playing. <laughs> and, yeah, dude, that was... Do you, do you have anything? I kind of jumped over. Do you have anything about that fight scene you want to talk about? Uh, no, I mean, the only the only thing in the fight scene that I kind of was speaking on earlier was just the part where we got a little bit more of a glimpse about Red Skull's motives. Um, just where yeah. he says, I have seen the future captain. There are no flags, not in my future. So he's just basically dreaming of this kind of like desolate post-apocalyptic world where he's the ruler over everybody yeah there's no flags everybody's just kind of free for all but he is you know he is the end-all be-all yeah which i found super interesting just as a motive because i think you can definitely see that they say that he was crazy before but that serum just made him just basically want to end the world with him being the only one running it yeah and um i do think that this is kind of a weak villain motive um not yeah <laughs> I definitely don't know. i just i, I kind of struggle with that like you said i tend to enjoy villains more where we get like a little bit more development we get a little bit more understanding of their plan we maybe don't agree with the way they're going about it but you can kind of see you can kind of understand you know speaking on just for example like maybe joker and dark knight um yeah Killmonger and black panther like, you get a good understanding for maybe why, or you kind of understand why they're, you know, doing what they're doing. But for Red Skull, it just kind of felt like he was bored and power hungry. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I, yeah, there is no motive that you could understand. Like, with Thanos, like, you could kind you see where he's coming from. You know it's wrong, but you see where he's coming from. And there was no, like, I, you don't see where Red Skull's coming from with this. He's just kind of insane. Yeah, he's just kind of an insane, crazy person. Um, yeah. Which maybe we're supposed, that's all we're supposed to see from him. That's all the writers wanted us to see from him. Yeah. But I just tend I, to I think those stories more when there's a little bit more of an, a clear motive. Yeah, I think it's hard. I think what they didn't want to do is make a character who is, like we said, Nazi-adjacent. Yes. And make him any sort of relatable, because obviously how how wrong that would be. So <laughs> I think that's why they had to do it. Yeah. I think that's why they had to make him just world world domination. Yes. And just the, the, the bare bones of world, just world domination. They couldn't, you can't make a Nazi adjacent character have any sort of good quality to them. So I think that's why they had to do it. Yeah, do. that's fair. And plus, like we spoke on earlier, it was an origin story. So there's not a ton of room yeah. to kind of um, develop all these characters at once. Yeah, I mean, the only origin story character that we get from the MCU in Phase 1 is Loki. Loki is a big part of... I think he has more development and more character... Uh, just Depth. Like, we learn more about it, character depth than Thor did. And yeah. I think that was the few, one of the few times. But that's because he becomes... You know, he's the main villain in Avengers. He's a villain again in um, Dark World. He's a villain again in this. He's always, he's always around. So they had to develop him a little yeah, more. I think that, Whereas Red Skull was a one-off. Yeah, I think that as a whole, the MCU does better later on. Um, probably post yeah, definitely. Avengers movie in developing um, these villains. Because I think early on, they just were so concerned. We need to get our Avengers team out there. Um, yeah. And that's the only characters that we really care about having any sort of depth. Um, so they were just kind of throwing in villains like you said in iron man it's like had anybody really heard of those first two villains yeah um the the iron monger was not a famous household name (laughs) yeah exactly the iron monger and who was the other whiplash um whiplash yeah yeah i mean i don't think those are household villains but they uh they just wanted to get uh, people to better understand who tony stark was just like this movie while red skull is one of the more iconic mcu villains 
I think they're just more concerned about getting Captain America out there. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, so then we go back to that scene in the 1940s hospital where Steve uh, realizes uh, one of my favorite scenes. I love this scene is when she the nurse comes in. She's dressed in all like 1940s garb, like not nurse. Uh, she's like a well, they, this what I'm reading describes her as a nurse, but yeah. I don't agree with that. She's definitely dressed in like army attire. Yeah, it's like an army nurse, maybe some sort of uh, yeah. infirmary in uh, New York is what he was supposed to believe uh, where he was. Yeah, and she he's like, where am I? And she's like, you're in the hospital. He's like no i i know this is fake like i was at the game playing on the radio yes i love that and so he breaks out and comes into probably what has to be in the most jarring scene from someone who was alive in the 1940s to come out onto modern day 2011 times square yes (laughs) that would be the most jarring place in america that you could just arrive in from the 1940s yes you're like wait is that a red lobster (laughs) <laughs> what is olive garden <laughs> why are there so many people outside of a place called bubba gum shrimp company <laughs> just i mean how jarring would be to see times square elmo is like your first yeah, viewing of like the modern oh day. that sure is a mighty big colored television they got up there <laughs> so then nick fury pulls up with a bunch of vans a bunch of suvs which is always a black suv oh. and basically it's just like Hey, you've been in ice for 70 years, and the war is very much over. Yeah, sorry, soldier. Um, Samuel L. Jackson coming in, eye patch, ready to go. Um, I mean, it's got to be, like you said, an incredibly jarring moment, but I thought that was another like really cool, well-done scene. Um, just yeah. breaking out of kind of the stage that they set, and he's like, we thought it would be a little easier to easy back in, but uh, here you go. Yeah, there's there's no way to ease him into that. No, which then not. the movie ends and we get our post credit scene, which Steve is working out in an old fashioned gym, and we get uh, Nick Fury, and he comes in and he's like, and Steve Rogers says, "Like trying to get me back in the world," and he's like, "Trying to save it." Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and previewing the Avengers, right? He's put together a team. And something's coming. Something's coming. And he needs Steve to don the Captain America suit again. Previewing our 2012 Avengers movie, which Grayson would love to have you back on. I haven't talked to Dominic about it yet, but I'd love to have you and Dom back on with me to talk about the Avengers for next week. Absolutely. Just one of the most iconic movies of the last 10 years for me. Um, oh, man. That was yeah one of the coolest movies ever. Time. We'll, we'll have to talk about it when we get there. But, I mean, fantastic film. Absolutely. And I think that about wraps up the movie. You mind if I move on to the beer? Let's move on to the beer. So, like I said before, we have the Independent from El Segundo Brewing Company. Now, El Segundo is one that, Grayson, you and I have been to together. We have been to El Segundo Brewing Company. Delightful place. Delight. I mean, amazing beer. I mean, there's nothing I've gone there that I've felt is just anything below amazing. I mean, and I know Dom loves it because they had a beer that was like 17%. Oh, Dom likes a hefty dark brew. That's <laughs> he for likes sure. A- he does. Uh, the Independent is an IPA, just a generic single IPA, but it's really good. I'm drinking it. I've been drinking it throughout the podcast. Um, it is a 6.8 alcohol by volume, and it's just, I mean, everything they make is great. If you guys are ever in the El Segundo area, Los Angeles, it's kind of like West LA, um, the South Bay kind of area, and they have a lot of breweries and um, great restaurants over there. I would highly recommend checking them out. You can also, They're open right now for pickup. 
yes. and their online stores open. So if you guys don't live in LA, you can pick up, you can have their beer shipped to you right now, uh, which is great. I think you know breweries being open and supporting local breweries is always the best way to go. And right, the independence great, and it worked out perfectly. We're talking about Captain America right after the Fourth of July with a beer that is red, white, and blue, and called the Independent. I think it works out beautifully. I mean, sounds crisp, sounds refreshing. Um, I actually have a can set aside for you. I have one for you and Dom. I made a four pack for the both of you to give to you next time I see you guys. What a guy. As a thank you for being on the show. Absolutely. Had a lot of fun. Uh, But first, before we go, I need you to give me your comically ratings. So I need two from you. I need scale of one to ten comically is what you thought of the movie on its own and a scale of one to ten on what you thought of the movie as it affects the later MCU. Okay, so on its own, um, we've touched on it quite a bit. Um, I struggled a lot with this movie. Um, and Captain America just as a hero in general, but kind of ignoring my implicit bias against him. I do think that this movie fell short on multiple levels. I think Chris Evans does an admirable job, um, held back definitely from that initial CGI, um, kind of a decent amount of plot holes, but, you know, I kind of struggle giving anything less than like a five out of 10. Um, so I'm just going to stick it right there as five out of 10 comic, please. Okay. What about as the MCU as a whole? MCU as a whole. Um, we've, we've also touched on this. I think it is very important going forward. It's kind of our, like we, I don't even know if we brought it up, but it's our first infinity stone, correct? It is. Yeah. The Tesseract is our first infinity stone that we get, which is obviously insanely important for the later movies. Yeah. So I think that it sets that up. Well, it sets up, um, kind of, like, we don't exactly understand what the Infinity Stones are yet, um, yeah. but even just getting a glimpse at one is obviously incredibly important. Um, it gives us an idea of who Captain America is going forward and how he plays probably, I'd say next to Iron Man, he's, what, the other most important character in the Marvel Universe? Um, yeah, I, I would agree. Um, so I would say it's got to be close to, like, eight, 8 out of 10 for importance, maybe even 9 out of 10 for importance. I'll give it, I'll say we'll land it even 8.5. Yeah. All right. I, I will agree with that. I'll give it an 8.5 for that. I think solo, I'm going to raise it up. I'm going to give it like a seven for a movie on its own personally, just because I like, I, I know I liked it more than you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just struggle. Uh, I don't, I don't love Captain America as a hero. I don't think that we get a great understanding of his powers. Um, there's a lot of plot holes. I think some of the better characters weren't highlighted enough. Um, yeah, for me, Peggy Carter was not highlighted yeah, as much as she should have been. Yeah, I think Peggy Carter's great. I think Red Skull was a very interesting character. Yeah. I think we got a little too much. I know he comes back to play an important role, but a little too much of our plump, um, oafish German scientist. Um, Armin Zola. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, yeah. I think there, there, there could have been things could have been a little bit more focused. And I'm not sure if this director was asked to come back. Um, to direct more Captain America movies, but it kind of had a different feel than a lot of the other Marvel movies for me. Yeah, this was directed by Joe Johnston, uh-huh. who he did not. I don't think he came back for um, any others. No, he did the first Avenger, and that was it for his entire MCU. Yeah. Um, his his past movies was, he I mean, he did Jumanji, the 1995 yes, Robin Williams I know he Jumanji. did some uh, Indiana Jones movies, correct? He did The Adventures of Young Indiana Jones okay, yes. movies, so, and he did Jurassic Park 3. And just a murderous row of films here. October Sky actually is a great yeah. movie. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. 
1989 Hunger Strike the Kids. Not bad. Yeah. I mean, but uh, who's more heroic? He, yeah. <laughs> it is announced though, The Chronicles of Narnia: The Silver Chair. He will be directing that. I can guarantee I will not be tuning in, but uh, good for him. I never saw any of the Narnia movies after the first one, so couldn't tell you. <laughs> All right. Uh, and the Nutcracker in the Four Realms. I heard that was a bit of a flop in 2018, but you know, you know, it's not 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 everything's for everyone. Yeah, so I wonder. Say. I mean, I know that this movie critically was not. Um, it did pretty well, um, but maybe not on the upper echelon of Marvel movies. I know those typically yeah pretty darn well critically, and I think this one was kind of middle of the pack maybe towards the lower end so i think a lot of people maybe kind of agree with us that it's not maybe the best standalone movie but it does have a lot of importance yeah it definitely it, it's i think probably the most important besides avengers of the initial five mcu films yeah and maybe like iron man but oh yeah, iron oh, yeah. Man i think iron, give man, us, yeah. iron man doesn't give us as much as this movie gives us though yeah i would agree okay um, I think about that about wraps it up. Grayson, thank you so much for being here. All right. I really appreciate you having me, Doug. Had a lot of fun and hoping I can uh, come back on for Avengers. Yeah, we thank you guys for listening. We will be back next week with hopefully I need to talk to Dominic. I never brought it up to him. But definitely, Grayson, if you'd like to be back, we will definitely do that. So get ready for the Avengers next week to wrap this up, this MCU review series for now. Ben is hopefully going to be back for the episode after the Avengers. So we will see about that. We will keep you guys updated. Uh, but thank you for listening Grace and thank you for being here and everyone stay safe out there and yeah hope you enjoyed the show